welcome to Hoof on the Till, our weekly look at all things racing. Helen Thomas and Max Pressner with you from the Sydney Morning Herald. And Max, what a cup week it's been with Without a Fight becoming the first horse to win the Melbourne Cup Caulfield Cup double since, what, 2001? No doubt uh, Without a Fight was a feature, well, so far the feature of the Melbourne Spring Carnival. I thought Derby Day was flat, possibly overshadowed by the Golden Eagle at Rose Hill. Uh, the Cup, as we said, uh, a, a very good addition, uh, particularly the ride of Mark Zara uh, certainly impressed me. But really, the day's racing, the day's racing of the Carnival is Champions Day at Flemington on Saturday. And by gee, we've got some great events there, good betting races, and I'm looking forward to it. Interesting comments too, Max, just in the last sort of 24 hours or so from trainer Willie Mullins, who of course had the two runners, the highly spruiked Vauban and Absurd. He's come out in an incredibly positive way about the vet protocols around the Melbourne Cup and indeed around the Spring Carnival generally. He says, I think you are doing a wonderful thing for racing. You are minding racing with the new veterinary hoops we have to jump through. Maybe you overdid it a bit early on, but things find their level. When we see what's going on around the rest of the world, someone has to start somewhere and get racing right for the people that are in the game. We all get a tremendous living out of it. We want to see it going on and we have to mind the game. I think Australia is doing the right thing. That was courtesy of racing.com this morning. That's pretty strong endorsement of what Racing Victoria has set in place, isn't it? Oh, yes. I, I, I've got no argument with the protocols. There are horsemen like Willie Mullins are better better verse to speak about it than I am. And it'll be interesting to see what the, our guests make of those comments throughout the show. I know Shelley Hancocks will have a, a point of view and so too probably Greg Carpenter who will join us. He's back in Hong Kong now. But first up, Max, talking about Champions Day, one of the most favoured runners in the Champion Stakes is Duas and her trainer Ed Cummings joins us now. Ed, good to have you on the show. Thanks, Helen. Nice to be here. Now, what a great day it should be on Saturday and particularly to see Dewis back again over one of her best distances, I think, 2,000 metres in the champion stakes. How is she today? That's the main question, isn't it? How's she going? So she's uh, fresh and well and fit. Certainly, you know, the fittest that she's been all preparation now. Uh, I thought she came through the run of the Cox Blade in, in pretty good fashion. Uh, she's had a pretty easy time of things. Obviously, she doesn't need to improve too much on what she could have done there um, with with clear running, but mm-hmm. um, still very good nonetheless. Uh, and, yeah, definitely excited about the prospect of getting back to Flemington and 2000 and uh, even a few of the um, additional horses into the race um, that, did, that didn't contest the Cox Plate. You know, they present interesting challenges, uh, but, but we're all pretty happy with, with Jewess and look forward to the day. She certainly ran well in the Cox Plate. We don't need to go over that old ground about the luck she didn't have. As a mare, as a horse, you know, what's her temperament like? I mean, when she comes through a a run like that, she hasn't had the the luckiest of springs. Does she sense that? I mean, does she come back in any sort of different order, you know, mentally, emotionally to you? It's a good question. I I think she's come out of each run very well, um, just about every start. So she most certainly knew that she'd had a run on Sunday after the Cox Plate, um, even though she she's probably still got a bit of stored energy for not being fully tested. Um, but it wasn't long before she'd bounced back completely and was fresh and well and bouncing and and, and looking to do more. So, you know, that's always a major concern, you know, after big performances is, is how the horses come through their runs and, um, and, and appear 
mentally, um, but she continues to bounce out of, of, of each run. And we were conscious that we'd given her a couple of uh, races, three weeks between each other. And now her last two runs were at a two-week gap and, and this one remains a two-week gap as well. So, you know, she's she's being asked a little bit more a little bit sooner, but she's also getting fitter and stronger. And and um, as I said, you know, she, she does seem quite fresh and well within herself. So mm. I think that's a, a great mix for her. And watching her grow, really, since she, she had that, three, that great three-year-old campaign and won the Oaks up north, I mean, she certainly mm. got bigger and stronger and, you know, from afar, she looks like a very intelligent mare. She is, yeah. No, she's a wonderful horse to have around the stable. She's beautiful and relaxed. Um, you know, like most mares, she can choose her moments to let you know that uh, that she's there and that she doesn't want you around. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for the most part, she's um, she's a pleasure to work with. I sense that this is her last run for spring. Is this right? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. You know, obviously new owners on board in Yulong. Yes. Um, that's been publicised this week. So um, one more bite at the at the cherry for this preparation. And then what happens, I suppose, will be up to Yulong thereafter, uh, whether she has another preparation or they have designs on, you know, breeding career uh, a bit earlier. But to be honest, a lot of it just depends on how she's racing. If she's competitive and, and, and running well, um, there's, there'd be no reason, I think, to um, to stop her from going around in the autumn. Um, but ultimately, that decision will lie with uh, the team at Yulong. Um, you know, they've made a, a huge investment in the industry recently, and they're more than entitled to make whatever decision they they like. Have they indicated to you if she does race on that she'll stay with you? Uh, there's been no real discussion around that. Um, you know, and and neither they have they brought it up or or myself to be honest. My focus remains on Saturday's race, and I'm more than happy to bring it up with them after the <laughs> after the race. What would you like to see her do? You know, she's still a relatively young mare, Ed. I mean, what do you think she is still capable of doing on the track before she becomes a broodmare? I think she's a genuine Group 1 mare and, and she's been knocking on the door uh, for quite a while now since the middle of the year with uh, good runs in Doom and Cups and Mighton Towers and Underwoods and, and obviously Cox Plate. So the focus, I suppose, was to have her peaking in the spring. You know, I'd love to see her knock up a couple more uh, Group 1 wins on her resume particularly for new owners uh, that have made a, a big investment so i think that um yeah it's all within her, her capability um but as as always it just comes down to the preparation her health and well-being soundness fitness and and then getting the conditions to suit in these races as you know they're not the easiest races to win i, I agree with you i think she's still got plenty of good racing left in her but ultimately you know she's He's been purchased with uh, with breeding in mind, um, and there is definitely a window of racing available to her before that becomes uh, the major concern of the new owners. Well, let's hope she does you proud on Saturday, Ed, in the Thank Champion you so Stakes. Much, Helen. Ed Cummings, really good to talk to you today on the podcast. And while it's not yet clear exactly what the future holds for Dewis, nor what price she was sold for, she certainly would not or should not have been a cheapie. But intriguingly, 18 of the 29 horses that 
will line up in the Group 1s at Flemington on Saturday, were sold publicly as either weanlings or yearlings in Australasia, and nine of them could have been purchased for $100,000 or less. James Safaris from Racing.com tweeted about this, and he joins us now on Hoof. James, good to have you back. Great to be with you, Helen, and, and good to chat again at, at this time of year. Now, how did you come across these figures, as inspiring as they are? Look, all the information is is publicly accessible, but uh, I've got to give a shout, shout out to the team at, at Breednet. They, you know, collate all of this data and, and put it out in uh, in their sale mail, which is, you know, available quite easily via their website for for every race meeting in Australia, not just the, the Group 1 days at, at Flemington, but, you know, uh, yeah, it is It is really interesting, um, and hence why I sort of, you know, put it out there on social media. People can be forgiven sometimes for thinking and, you know, believing that, that racing is, you know, purely the domain of the rich and powerful and that, it, you know, you need money to, to have a good horse, but this would, you know, suggest that that's not always the case. And for someone like me that, you know, dabbles in, in breeding and dabbles in small shares in, in relatively affordable horses, it, you know, it does give you hope that, you know, you can, uh, you can go to the, go to a sale, breed a horse, you know, potentially, um, you know, buy into a horse that's not a not an expensive purchase, and and hopefully have one that can compete at the top level. Contextually, too, it's it's significant because, you know, with every cost involved with well everything, but certainly breeding and racing horses going up, it is an, a significant um, statistic really to think that nine of these horses could have been bought for a hundred thousand dollars or less, and they're racing for such extraordinarily large prize money pools, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. You know, these these group ones on, on Champions Day, we're talking about $3 million races. So um, most of these horses, actually, I think every single one of these horses that's lining up in a group one was available to be purchased for $100,000 or less. They've all well and truly made their, their purchase price back and, mm-hmm. and their owners would be would be well and truly in front. And look, the reality is that, you know, often, and, and you know, I've lived this with probably just about every single horse that I've had a share in, you know, often you go into it knowing that the chances are that you're probably not going to, you know, turn a, uh, turn a profit on, on your investment when it comes to, to buying a share in a horse. But look, these are the, uh, these are the instances that, that you dream of. And, you know, it's not the case with every single horse in, in these races, a horse like in secret, you know, who is obviously a multiple group one winner. She was a $900,000 yearling purchased by Godolphin in Peritrees who, you know, many are claiming is the best sprinter in Australasia and maybe the best sprinter in the world. She was a $360,000 yearling purchase. So expensive horses are still doing really well. But, you know, when you look at some of the horses, like the Kennedy, the, the, the Kennedy Champions Mile, for instance, Mr. Brightside, he was a $22,000 yearling that got passed in with a $50,000 reserve at the ready-to-run sales. Alligator Blood was a, a $55,000 yearling purchase. The Inevitable, a $90,000 yearling purchase. And, and Pride of Jenny, you know, who, who won her group one as recently as, as Saturday, she was purchased for, for bang on $100,000. So that's, you know, that's basically half the field. Throw into the mix some some homebreds, you know, by stallions that I wouldn't say are, you know, the most fashionable and, and in-demand stallions in the country. Um, yeah, it's definitely inspiring. James Safaris from Racing.com. voice we're going to hear is probably maybe even more famous than yours jim mcgrath of course is a melbourne boy he's back in melbourne for this spring carnival the big part of the spring carnival but of course he had an illustrious career as a race caller for 40 years or so mainly calling races in the uk and hong kong and he's with us now jim good to have you on hoof on the till 
Yeah, great, great to uh, be with you, Hun and Max. Yeah, well, for a start, I look. I'm not in the same class as Jim McGrath. Not in the same class. We're we're dealing about we're dealing <laughs> with Royal Ascot here, with uh, perhaps a you know a a 69 at Kimbler Grains, but but Jim. I can't say the uh, the imports on Tuesday in the Melbourne Cup uh, did, uh, shall we say, Royal Ascot any favours uh, on Tuesday. How how did you assess their runs? Well, I, I think to be very honest with you, Max, I think that um, uh, the Irish camp are still scratching their heads. I was uh, with a couple yesterday, and they still can't they put their finger on what went wrong. I mean, he's. Um, he looked uh, pretty good beforehand. You saw his gallops. Uh, there's all sorts of theories, you know. Did he leave his uh, form uh, at Flemington with that uh, sensational track gallop? Uh, or, you know, did he just uh, not handle the occasion? I can't imagine that's the uh, the real reason because he handled Royal Ascot and they've got uh, plenty of people there. So, uh, yeah, it's a real head-scratcher. It does remind me, and I'm sure it reminds you, horses with... Uh, you know, we've been watching over the years horses like Oscar Schindler, um, also Double Trigger, uh, very similar profiles in, in the, the amount of hype and the amount of publicity they had beforehand. Uh, and all, even Yates, who was a, a four-time Astrid Gold Cup winner, and he's, he's finished seventh in that very controversial Melbourne Cup, um, which I think you and I were both at the inquiry, the subsequent inquiry uh, after the race. Um, so I cannot offer you any explanation whatsoever? Acclimatisation, it's a, it's an uncanny aspect, really, Jim, isn't it? Because there have, have been others, lesser horses than the ones that you've just mentioned, have come over here and have adapted. And we did think that Willie Mullins was a plus in that adaption uh, area because he's he's been here before and his horses have raced well. He hasn't won a Melbourne Cup, but by gee, he's been, he's been around the money. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good point that they have raced well. This is this is out of character. I mean, he's had uh, Max Dynamite, who was second and third, and you know, on paper, and if you look at their, uh, if you analyse their form, uh, Max Dynamite was inferior uh, on paper uh, to Vauban. So uh, that makes you wonder. And, and Max came back. He came back twice. Um, he had another horse called Thomas Hobson, who was. Um, he was probably didn't have any luck in running, and he was sixth. And you know, he's look. He, this guy is a top top trainer. He he's not a mug at all. Uh, and um, yeah, he was he was mystified after the race. Jim, you've spent most of your time in recent years in the in the UK. The situations have changed. Australians are buying a lot of horses from over there. Uh, a lot of good horses who are performing very well and earning good money here, but. How is the industry going uh, in in Britain and Europe, for that matter? Well, the industry, it's, if you look at the industry and you look at Royal Ascot and the amount of money that's being spent in in uh, yearling sales, the same as here uh, in, in Australia, you must say, well, this is a very buoyant industry and it's really, really going well. But the reality is that um, it's not going well. The, the funding, the funding model of UK racing is totally flawed, um, and it exists through having a number of very, very wealthy people who are prepared to. Uh, it doesn't make any any economic sense what they're doing. They're 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 running horses for very, very small prize money, 
Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of races, and you look at the Royal Ascot races even, their prize money compared to Australia is very, very moderate, very, very modest. Uh, and it's, it's, it's surviving on reputation and tradition. People want to be a part of it. Uh, and it's, it's an artificial look to it for the simple reason that we have one or two people who are totally uh, passionate about, about racing and totally uh, committed to actually being involved. And the top of that list with Sheikh Mohammed uh, from Dubai, uh, he his passion has never dimmed in 45 years of active owning in the UK. Um, and I dare say that if the Sheikh was to drop out for any particular reason, that there would be a lot of people going to the wall in the UK. He he keeps he keeps a lot of places going, and um, I would say that he's been such a, a supporter. He's had, as we know, he's had huge success, but also that success has come about through huge investment, unbelievably investment. And you know, he, he certainly wouldn't be showing a profit over the years, even even with the um, with the stadiums and the success of many of the stadiums he's had. Jim, we can't let you go. I know the, the carnival hasn't officially ended and it's Champions Day on Saturday at Flemington, but what's been your highlight so far in Melbourne? Well, obviously the, the, the Cup itself, it was, it was great to, to see the race. Look, look, the thing about the Cup, Helen, is that it goes up and down. It's, it's, it's constantly changing over the years. It's, it's extraordinary. And you know what? This race works. It absolutely works, and it's a challenge. And we've seen on on Tuesday, you know, the uncertainties that there are involved. You know, Shiraz running third, uh, the favourite Vauban running fifteenth. There is still a mystery about it. There are still many unknowns, and it's it's traditionally two miles, which uh, which makes it a fascinating race. It's a handicap. It's not an invitation. Uh, it is a unique race. It is unique around the world, and also. It's, it, it is a very prized sporting trophy. It has a bit of magic about it, but it keeps on evolving. This is the thing. It keeps on changing. You know, it keeps on reinventing itself, and it works. Legendary voice indeed, Jim McGrath. Our next guest is probably best placed to look back at the Cup in a truly international perspective. Greg Carpenter is head of racing product with Hong Kong Jockey Club and he's back on Hoof on the Till. Greg, good to have you. Well, a couple of days after the Cup and ahead of Champions Day. Lovely to be with you, Helen. It's been uh, a successful first uh, few days of the Cup Carnival for the VRC. They've got Champions Day on Saturday ahead with the, uh, the Champions Sprint, the Champions Mile and the Champions Stakes, which are really interesting contests, but I'm sure that the, the VRC will reflect back on Tuesday's uh, 163rd edition of the Melbourne Cup and think to themselves uh, that it was success, a good crowd, good weather. Uh, everyone got round safely and a, a landmark victory for father and son combination, Anthony and Sam Friedman and certainly Sam. Uh, everyone knew that he was a rising star in Australian racing and uh, it was great to see the way he handled the uh, post-race success uh, and the interviews that he's done over the last few days. Yes, you're right. Everybody did come home safely too, except for three horses who 
did cross the line and were later deemed by stewards to be lame. So it'll be interesting to see how Alanqua, uh, Gold Trip and Right You Are sort of fare, you know, going forward. But the other interesting point, Greg, is that, of course, uh, without a fight becomes the first horse in many, many years to win the Caulfield Melbourne Cups double. Well, for someone of my generation, Helen, the, the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups were uh, linked very, very closely. The, 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 the fated double was the Caulfield Cup into the Melbourne Cup. And over the last couple of decades, such as the lure of the Melbourne Cup, that many horses have actually deviated away from running in the Caulfield Cup for fear of winning it and then getting a penalty which made their life more difficult to achieve success in the Melbourne Cup. I think there's been a recalibration of the penalty uh, to winners of the Caulfield Cup going into the Melbourne Cup. Uh, but it was certainly lovely to see that uh, without a fight, this year's winner of the Caulfield Cup was given a kilo penalty by David Hagen, uh, racing Victoria's uh, head handicapper. Took its weight to 56 and a half and um, over a 3,200-metre distance. That's a, a penalty of about two lengths or four metres in, in actual distance. So it was lovely that uh, the Caulfield Cup winner this year won the race, took the penalty, went on to win the Melbourne Cup, the first since uh, Ethereal back in 2001 for Sheila Laxon. So 22 years since a horse had won the double. So I think uh, the, the, the prize money of the Caulfield Cup, the, the reputation that the race holds, does seem that there is a tendency now for people to think, yep, well, I'll go to Caulfield hopefully win it, and if I do take the penalty and still have a competitive winning chance in the Melbourne Cup. And interesting too, Greg, was the last time you were speaking with us, you said international racing and international competition is is so important for racing globally and racing in Australia. So what do you make of, you know, the internationals running in this year's Cup? Well, firstly, a major disappointment for Willie Mullins and uh, Rich Ritchie, the owner of uh, Ball Barn. Uh, they're great sportsmen. It was wonderful that, again, they took the challenge up to travel out to Australia. Willie, of course, had finished top four on a number of occasions uh, in the past. I'm certain that that won't deter them from coming out again. And Willie, post-race, has taken the disappointment on the chin and said that he will be back. Uh, and again, that's to be admired. Uh, you're right. I have said that if people are going to... Well, if racing is going to... Uh, stay relevant uh, as a sport internationally. Uh, owners and trainers do have to embrace international competition. So I'm sure that they will, uh, as I said, take the disappointment, not in their stride, but on, on the chin and come back for more. In some respects, a return to an old-fashioned Melbourne Cup. There was some older horses who finished in the top 10. One of the great stories out of it was Ash Run. Uh, Andreas Boller brought the horse out uh, a number of years ago. He got injured and stayed in Australia. He'd had almost three years off the track and the, the connections were richly rewarded for their patience and love of the horse. He ran really well in fourth place. Um, the kind Sweet Junior, the horse that I could never quite uh, nail the pronunciation of. Dashwan uh, Sweet Junior. He ran sixth last year and fifth last year. An old-fashioned New Zealand bred who's only a five-year-old, so he'll continue to um, improve as he gets older. His run was good for the New Zealand um, bred horses but for Trey Marble Matthew Smith uh, he's an older horse now he ran 8th Val and Declare who won the race 3 years ago ran ninth. for those horses to take their part in the race finish top 10 
uh, would have been uh, an excellent reward for their owners. Just going back to Willie Mullins too and your international perspective, uh, interesting this morning and significant I think that he has come out in big support of the vet protocols that Racing Victoria has put in place over the last couple of years. In fact, he says, I'm paraphrasing him here, thank heavens for Australia taking the lead in this because of some of the things that are happening around the rest of the world. And given that, Greg, I wonder if other parts of the world in other racing jurisdictions will follow Racing Victoria's lead. Well, interestingly enough, uh, you know, when things are new and gain publicity, they get great attention. A number of the other jurisdictions where horses travel in, there are already very strict veterinary protocols in place. All horses are inspected before they leave. Uh, um, scans and veterinary history are, are agonisingly checked. Let's hope that that standard, uh, those standards are maintained around the world. There'll always be differences in approach, but um, hopefully the, the end result is the same, that horses can travel, compete in these major races uh, and return home to the yard with their handler. Um, happy and healthy and, uh, and safe after um, after taking up the challenge of international competition. Greg Carpenter, as always, good to have you on Hoof on the Till. It's a pleasure, Helen. Well, Max, talking about iconic voices, Shelley Hancock joins us now, one of Australia's leading syndicators of racehorses and leading race commentator. Shelley, good to have you back on the podcast. Lovely to be here, Helen, and uh, good morning, Max. What a pleasure to be with you in the middle of this fantastic spring carnival in Melbourne where 84,500 turned out to see the Melbourne Cup. And I'm not sure whether you're aware that Channel 10's ratings were up. 12%. How amazing is that in this day and age when so many people are not watching the races in the old traditional way? They're actually now watching on a lot of platforms. And I mean, I know heaps of people who are a lot younger than me who have the races on their phone. I don't have them. On, well, I could put them on my phone, but I haven't got them on my phone. But so many thousands and thousands of the younger ones, they just rely on the phone to, to watch the races. And uh, of course, racing.com is 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 covering the races all the time and I think it's absolutely amazing. I think to get a, a crowd that big when there are so many ways that people are now engaging with racing was fabulous. Yeah, well, look, when you talk about 84,500, that's not flash on the good old days. But there again, I think you've made a couple of relevant points on how the exposure that it gets today on telephones, watching a Melbourne Cup on a telephone, who'd want to do that? But there are, as you say, people that do. And on that that area, I do think that racing, racing in Australia and the Melbourne Cup, it, it did very well. But uh, look, as far as the standard of, of horses concerned, I thought Derby Day was disappointing, but it has its lulls, its great days and its slack days. Slack, slack day this year, Melbourne Cup, well, it was a Melbourne Cup and a Melbourne Cup is always a Melbourne Cup, the most popular race in Australia. But there again, the final day, I know Oaks Day on Thursday, the final day, what a pearler the final day is. The champions, when you, you look at the champion mile, Mr. Brightside, Alligator, Blood, you know, heading the weights, but with plenty of opposition. Let me make this point. Imperatez is probably the best sprinter in Australia. 
but you're going to get even money about it on Saturday. That's the opposition. Now, this is a great day's racing. Max, I absolutely, that's one thing I do agree about. And And the race you didn't mention was that, have champion stakes, and that's a that's a ripper of a race. I mean, you've got the Caulfield Cup runner-up in West Wind Blows, and if anybody ever a, a training partnership deserved uh, to win a race here, it's Simon and Ed Crisford. And, it, and interestingly enough, weren't they the original trainers of this year's Melbourne Cup winner? They ran him in the race last year, and then um, uh, uh, Shake. Uh, Obeyed, um removed his horses from them, which is something he's done several times in the past. He seems to love trainers for a couple of years, and then he then he shifts camp, uh, which he which he did with the Cup winner. But you're saying the crowd was not that great on Cup Day. Well, it was the best since 2017, so that's pretty good. But one of the other things that happened over the Cup Carnival was the VRC used social media in a brilliant way, and they were. They were on X, formerly Twitter. They were on every mobile media platform you could get. And not just with fashions, but with race replays and interviews and all sorts of quite interesting stuff to the, not the everyday punter, but the, the once, the, what we would always formally have termed the once a year punter. And these people do engage, as I said earlier, in a different way. And for the VRC to really embrace that, those social media platforms and use them to its advantage, I thought, we'll, we'll get them quite a lot of younger racegoers next year. And when you looked at the crowd, it was a much younger crowd. And it was a very brightly dressed crowd uh, on, you know, Every single day it's been that way. And the only thing I think where they let themselves down um, was the lack of, possibly lack of bar staff and lack of catering staff uh, that led to long queues and lots of um, disgruntled people. But uh, when you turn your attention to the track, wow, I thought our stewards put yours in the shade. Three jockeys were fined, two suspended for whip use on Melbourne Cup Day. So obviously the stewards are very aware of the optics of racing to the, these younger crowds because uh, um, Mark Zara was fined, Damien Lane and Craig Newitt both suspended for 10 meetings each for misuse of the whip. Not in the cup, I might add. There was a, the only problem with the cup was you know, three lame horses out of it. But um, certainly... Uh, by the time the cup came around, the jockeys were well aware that the stewards were not going to welcome any whip breaches. Okay, and at the end of this week, Shelley, I know it's not over. The, the carnival has been elongated, so it'll be the thousand guineas next week. We could get into that discussion, but I think I know what you'd say. What's been your highlight so far? Oh, highlight. I do think that. The whole day on Tuesday was a fabulous day's racing. Um, but I think the, the highlight has to be Mark Zara and his Caulfield Melbourne Cup double. They were two outstanding rides. And, you know, the guy, he's not young. And he's just done a brilliant job. I, th- I thought also um, Damien Oliver's conduct of himself in his last um, last few months riding has been... Just brilliant. And, and, and for people to say, gee whiz, you know, he, he should keep going, I think he's one of the people who knows when it's time 
to hang up his saddle and his boots and um, do something else. And you, I have to applaud him for it because he's had he's had a, a great career. On Saturday, as you've mentioned, it's Champion Stakes Day as well as all the other races we've been talking about. Dewis is going round for Ed Cummings. Ed was on the show a bit earlier and he was not clear as to whether she will race on or be retired for her new owners, Yulong. What do we make of this, Yulong buying all our best mares, it would seem? Well, they've got an awful lot of money and they've got quite a few stallions at the start and they're supporting all their horses with the best they can buy. But um, I think the thoroughbred industry wants to sit, take a collective breath and hope that they keep going for a very long time because if they, they pull out, there'll be... A fair downturn in the market, and um, there'll be a lot of um, a, a nice mares available. But I would, in Dewis's case, I would have thought they'd probably give her uh, an, an autumn preparation because she's, it's too late to go to stud this year. But uh, they're they're a major major player, aren't they, in, in the in the whole bloodstock scene? I mean, it's um, when you look at the way it's sh- shrunk to a degree in the last decade. Uh, Godolphin are very big. Newgate are huge now. Coolmore are very big here. And now we have, have Yulong as well. But also in that time, you've seen a couple of big players come and go. Uh, Spendthrift was one. Started up big in Victoria and disappeared. And uh, there was also one in Queensland. It doesn't come to mind. But some of these players come in, go mad for five to ten years and then, then disappear. And um, I would just think everybody's got to cross their fingers and hope you along are more dedicated to the uh, cause. So many things to talk about, Shelley, and hopefully we'll pick up these issues in the new season in autumn. Thank you so much for your time through Spring 23 on Hoof on the Till. Pleasure and, and lovely to catch up with you, Max. Yes, and my final thoughts of the Melbourne Cup Carnival of 2023, you can't buy tradition. All the promotion in the world... It doesn't give you that Melbourne Cup, that Melbourne Cup carnival feeling. You walk on a derby day, it's the only place in the world that you want to be. Cup day, you get people from all over Australia go to Flemington and you can feel that buzz. But it doesn't end there. Of course, it's going to end in Champions Day. And while the quality in other days might have been down a bit, by gee, Champions Day is right up there and an occasion I'm sure that we'll be savoured long into the future.